Hello, this is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. And we're live every Sunday from 10am on YouTube, Facebook and our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk. And if you're watching on our website right now, don't forget to leave a Google review. The button is on there on the home page. And you can also leave your comments where you're watching us today, wherever that is, by putting them in the comments section below. If you'd like to email us personally, the address is hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. Property Matters is also available as a podcast on the Monday after the Sunday broadcast from all of those platforms you can see on the screen there. In other words, wherever you get your podcasts from. And the show is also being broadcast on Dilsa Radio, so we welcome new listeners there too. It's time to welcome our property expert, Joe Joshi. Hi, Joe. Yes, good, good morning, uh, Paul, and uh, good morning to all our listeners and viewers, where they are viewing. But of course, podcast is now uh, forever a popular spot, so I think they probably prefer to listen to us rather than um, uh, watch us all the time because it's, it's you know, it's the good looks and charms that do actually put them away. But anyway, it's good to, good to be here. <laughs> yeah, the perfect faces for radio, both of us. So yeah. anyway, we've got some news to start off with today, which is the fact that we have um, um, some sponsorship from uh, Auction Property for young Natasha. Do you want to take us through this? Yes, so um, Natasha Cooper-Smith is running, she's our marathon runner, Um, we're supporting and sponsoring her as auction property Um, and on the 23rd she's running the London Marathon and we wish her a tremendous amount of luck and and strength and hope she gets through that line and gets across the line and she's raising funds for uh, mental health Um, and of course um, you know we can offer you the um, the um, just give page where you can actually sponsor her and support her for a good cause and uh, we're delighted that um auction property are able to support and sponsor her and um, um for a for a very worthy course yeah there she is justgiving.com fun forward slash fundraising forward slash natasha cooper uh, dash smith so justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash natasha cooper dash smith so we wish her the best of luck for the london marathon can you remember what the date is joe the date is the 23rd so uh yeah about Not a week away now yeah 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 and she's i'm been, sure she's, she's coming near to, coming she's near to the end of her training now i guess that's right yeah no we we've uh, we've had we've uh, we've done quite a lot of uh, social media marketing for her with her on her training and uh, general so um yeah uh, I, I, but put it this way it won't be me running around can you imagine that happening no chance <laughs> <laughs> but, you could but, be run but, to... but I'll, I'll, I'll cheer her along as they say <laughs> you couldn't even run to catch a bus could you joe anyway no, i haven't done that for years Paul, to be honest with you. <laughs> i wouldn't even know which one to catch no, absolutely. So let's just take a look at our property news because that's what we're here for. New rules to give yep. communities greater control over short-term lets in tourist hotspots while also strengthening the tourism sector have been unveiled by the government. It's another Michael Gove special this week. A consultation published last week by the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities will propose introducing planning permission for an existing home to start to be used as a short-term let. This is designed to help local people in areas where high numbers of holiday lets are preventing them from finding affordable housing. We'll also consider whether to give owners flexibility to let out the home for up to a specified number of nights in a calendar year without the need for planning permission. So 
I guess this was going to be coming. There is more to it in a second, which we'll come on to. But broadly speaking, in places like uh, Sandbanks or Salcombe, this is only in England, but you could also apply the same thing if it were in Scotland to places like Edinburgh. Um, and obviously, you know, where there's a tourist hotspot, lots of people have set up Airbnbs and they don't rent them out for that much time of the year, generally speaking. So they're obviously going to be dormant. And of course, that's a property that someone couldn't live in, particularly if they're small flats that you let out for people to stay in overnight. So, so it does make some sense. Mm, don't tend to really agree with that to a large extent, um, primarily because, uh, you know, people uh, don't always. I mean, this, this, this is really more of a, a in my mind, a go a uh, personal thing for some reason that he wants to, uh, you know, punish people that are out there. I mean, the letting market, the buy to let, the landlords are getting a, an absolute, you know, I mean, if Mike Tyson was in the ring with uh, with every landlord, they'd be all punching, he'd be punching them down and they'd be trying to get up. And that's where Gove is with, with buy to let and landlords and, and anyone else. And this is just another little nail in the coffin for the buy-to-let market or even the Airbnb market uh, where they potentially could make money. Now, I, I get the point that, um, you know, it might take away some accommodation um, uh, in, in some given areas, but it doesn't take away everything. I think what really all they, the Gove needs to look at is probably what else he should be doing as opposed to trying to fix something that is really not broke as far as I'm concerned. He could actually do a lot more by trying to release some brownfield land and some, some other properties that they've got for the people that are looking for affordable or cheaper rental properties. Even these properties that are uh, rented out on Airbnb or in these coastal areas, Paul, are not cheap properties. They're not going to be properties that are going to be available for someone who's a first-time buyer or someone who is just looking to have a, a cheaper rent. This is, I just don't see that when I listen, look at the, the demographics of places like, uh, you know, Sandown, Bournemouth. I mean, with, re with respect, Sandowns is, is not, by any stretch of the imagination, a cheap place to, to live. No, so, Sandbanks, you mean Sandbanks. Yeah, Sandbanks. Um, so for when you look at places like that, then you've got to say to yourself, well, actually, it doesn't make sense. So if somebody has got a big house or a... A property and they're not using it and they've, they've bought it and they want to rent it out and that's fine but what he's saying is that people that live within those areas are not able to perhaps get on the property ladder either through buying or through renting but to rent or to buy in those particular locations is not cheap either so but those people have to move out um, to other parts of the country perhaps one day to come back and a lot of people have historically you know, over the 40 years that I've been in the business, a lot of people moved to the bigger cities from these places to actually go and make a living and then perhaps return back there as part of their retirement and, and, and say, well, I'm going to go and enjoy the, the coastal views, etc., etc." But I'm not quite sure that, you know, um, the buy to let market or the Airbnb market is that big that is going to affect those that want to get onto the the rental and 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 uh, purchase uh, market yeah it is a fairly localized issue and obviously severe in some areas um what the people are actually saying or what the uh, representations have said to the government because it does actually talk about it here it says that uh, that they're being priced out of homes to rent or to buy 
uh, and need housing that is more affordable. So they're saying it's a two-pronged thing. We need more affordable housing in that in those areas, but then that's that's an argument you can make for the whole country, frankly. But they are saying that they're losing out, I suspect, to people who are prospecting and purchasing because they've got the buying power, they've got the reputation with the local estate agent, they've got the cash maybe to put it down. Um, and what they're saying is that we are being priced out of the areas that we wanted to grow up in and live in. Um, and that's a right they believe that they should they should have to be able to compete fairly with other people. I mean, you could also argue to the Airbnb owner that actually if you really want to do the job of uh, renting a property out, then you become a B&B or even a hotel because at the end of the day, these laws won't affect B&Bs so, or a hostel even. So you could be a hostel or a B&B um, and not have these um, new planning um, changes enforced upon you. So... It's it's true that obviously um, Airbnb have, have disrupted the market of holiday lets, and therefore there's a new genre of holiday letting, which no, nothing's really being covered by. And the whole point of this is the government is trying to grapple with a whole new area that it doesn't know anything about. That's right, and that's exactly the point. They are they are meddling in something that they don't know nothing about. In fact, they could actually meddle in things that they. Could probably make a difference in and those people that cannot you know like i said in the time that i've been in the in the business i found that a lot of people young people who are on coastal places like brighton perhaps like bournemouth so they tend to want to go into places like london so that they can start their job futures into the bigger cities it's only later on in life that we have found a lot of people come back so we're not I don't think people have been actually taking that extra space. It's just that the locals are saying, oh, well, you know, we our, our kids don't get a chance. But to be honest with you, if they had a chance, majority of them, and we all got children, majority of them are now looking, because the world has become so small via the internet, they are always looking to move so, so further away and be able to work and, and, and you know, um, adapt their lives in other locations. I'm not quite sure that this particular challenge that they've got here with um, uh, trying to get planning permission for a house to be used as Airbnb um, is going to actually start to uh, throw people away. I mean, historically, Paul, there's been the situation where um, people have had a three-bedroom house or a four-bedroom house and they've done shares. They've always rented one room out. You know, that's not required. I mean, you can in, in Airbnb, you can actually rent one room out as part of a family and there are people that will do that. So people will find another way around to get to those situations if that's what they want to do. I think this is just more red tape that's going to get created for the purpose of getting revenue, another stealth tax for the government for the planning permission that is required and the delays that it takes. And any ordinary planning permission is taken forever to get through anyway so let alone add another one so you know it's, it's uh, to me i think it's not broken and they're fixing something that's not broken interestingly too joe the department of uh, culture media and sport also launched a separate consultation on a new registration scheme for short-term lets they're trying to build up a picture of how many short-term lets there are 
and where they're located and to try and understand the impact of short-term lets on communities. And the consultation follows a call for evidence held earlier in the year, the results of which are published this week and uh, indicate broad support for a registration scheme across the sector. So what's interesting is not only has the whole new sort of disruption of the hotel lettings industry um, come about, the trouble is the government don't know where these places are and how many of them are, are and where they're causing problems. So they've got to try and get a, a call in to everybody, say, right, yes, we're one, we're one, and then they can actually see what the picture looks like, which um, shouts to me of more uh, regulation and uh, more control, which which is something that they have to have, clearly. Well, uh, uh, as I said earlier on, it's it's just another... Uh, stealth tax is another way of, of of trying to define what they've got um, and where they where they've got these these people looking to rent and potentially um, some sort of taxation because they'll start to turn around and say well they're letting out rooms and there's an income coming from there and so forth and so forth so it's it's a whole you know I, the reason behind it is not the reason for what they're saying I think that it's a smokescreen for other things that they want to do or want want information for. But if you look at the face of it, as far as I'm concerned, I can't see that uh, on the face of it, what difference it's actually going to make uh, in, in, the, in the grand scheme, because people will find another solution. Like I said before, in the earlier days, people used to, people, many, many people bought houses and flats knowing that they were probably gonna have to share it and rent maybe a small room or, or a second room out. Um, and that's that's been an ongoing thing forever. And Airbnb, in a way, came off the back of that because there were then people saying, well, actually, I don't want to have a permanent second person living in my house, but I don't mind maybe a couple of weekends or, or whatever. And that brought in sufficient income for them to support their their living. So and if now they start to turn around and say, well, we actually want to know, you know, why you're doing this. And the way to do this was obviously start on the small things, i.e. the coastal areas, where actually it doesn't really make, in fact, I think the coastal areas would welcome the um, number of people that are uh, now staying there through Airbnb because it helps that economy. Um, otherwise, throughout the other times, perhaps the winter times, the economy in those areas is dead. Nobody wants to go to a pouring down rain area at that time of the year. So. You know, there, there are lots of give and takes here, but I'm not quite sure what the agenda is, but it will come out as it always does in the washpool. Yeah, well, it's interesting because the register of short-term lets is being introduced through the levelling up and regeneration bill, which is currently going through Parliament now. Subject to the outcome of the consultation, it says the planning changes would be introduced through secondary legislation later in the year and would apply to England only. So we'll keep our eye on that one. The fact of the matter is that if they, uh, if it becomes law, then you'll have to get planning permission for an Airbnb, uh, dependent on the local councils, to be fair. So if they decide that that's something that they want to do, then you'd have to register for that. So moving on to our, our second story of the week, um, and Property Mark are back in the news. They've submitted a response to the Department of Levelling Up Housing and Communities Consultation Reviewing Council for tax bandings on HMOs. That's houses of multiple occupation for those who don't like the uh, anachronisms. The public consultation seeks views on how HMOs in England are valued for council tax, as well as proposing changes to ensure housing in uh, multiple occupation are banded as one property under one council tax band rather than individually. So the 
current system, and I didn't realise this, and you'll probably better help us this with this, Joe, but the current system allows some HMOs to be banded for council tax purposes per room, meaning that some tenants will be liable for council tax on a room in a shared house, whereas in other areas, council tax liability is applied to the whole HMO as a single property. The new proposals would require local authorities to band an HMO as one property, with the landlord liable for the council tax. This is something that Property Mark supports as it's the fairest and easiest approach. So I didn't know it varied from region to region. So what's your knowledge on this, Joe? Well, you'll find that when you are places like the city centres, it's very difficult for, um, you know, the, the overall banding. So that's probably where they've had individual or room let costs uh, or divided. So even if it was uh, one whole price for a council tax uh, or, or, or the local tax authority, um, they will then, the landlord would maybe divide that apportionately to maybe four or five or six rooms that they might be doing and saying to them that, you know, this is your rent inclusive of the, the council tax that you're going to be contributing towards. Um, and in other cases, um, that wouldn't apply because it just didn't make make it viable. It makes it too expensive, so that the landlord would have to pick up the the um, council tax, and he would then maybe just share the other costs out um, in terms of uh, electric, gas, utilities, etc., in order to make it more viable. Um, but I think you'll find that the majority of those cases where there were individual or have been to the state are the city centres where it is difficult and it is expensive um, to do that. But all of the other areas, it's been down to uh, a ban for the, for the house. And I, I, I agree with Property Mark in this situation that it should be just the um, banding for the house, i.e. the size of it. And that is plenty, in all honesty. What the council taxes and the council gets from uh, homeowners um, and actually, it would be very nice to see half of that spent on the town that they do, but they never do. I mean, you know, we've all been through a billion potholes lately. Um, and, um, you know, where's that money going to go to? And apart from, you know, not even even doing the potholes. So I, I tend to agree with, with the property market. It should be just a house. And then it's up to the landlord if they feel they want to divide it per, per rent rental or just, um, you know, inclusive, all, as an all-inclusive rental part of it. Yeah, because uh, HMOs are traditionally known as a sort of a smaller, cheaper way of living. So if suddenly, you know, you've got a full council tax on just the one room for each individual person, that's going to rather take the purpose of HMO out of it. Um, but it's, it is odd, isn't it? Because in Cornwall, for example, they don't adopt that stance, but two, two hours up the road in Somerset, they do. So it's clear that it needs to be um, uh, done by the property and not per room, um, because the, the uh, suggestion here is that this going to end up with uh, higher rents, because obviously uh, um, there's going to be additional costs involved. Um, uh, and also, of course, it could utterly inflate, artificially inflate the number of dwellings per borough. Uh, without establishment of any additional housing. So, you know, basically they're looking at if you've got six in a property, that could be six properties effectively, couldn't it? Or seen as That's such. That's right. And then, and then as time goes on, if they've established six properties and six uh, um, uh, rate values or, or, uh, or um, you know, um, the council bands, then what they do is they'll start to say, well, actually, I've got six flats in this. And so the next thing would be that they would want to apply to turn those bedsits into perhaps more studios 
Um, and so there'll, there'll be another avenue that will open up for potential developers to say, okay, well, if I'm going to pay six times council tax, then I want six times, you know, planning permission for it to become individual. Then the next thing would be to sell those off individually separately. So, you know, it, there's, there's a lot more to it than, than the eye meets. But uh, in the main, I would certainly think that the best way is to, to continue it to be one house, one band, and, and let them divide that internally if they so wish, or, or the landlord you know, pays for that and the, and the people um, that live in it just pay for the, the room rate. Uh, it does become expensive, uh, Paul, that's the problem with it. And, and letting it has become quite expensive already. And part of the reason HMOs started and exist is simply because of that. And, and that goes back to our earlier story of the Airbnb and that reason why Airbnb started is because people wanted to have someone come in and maybe share some of the costs and the burdens of them, but not have them there all time. HMO came along and started to create those rooms that were, um, you know, used. So if it's a five bedroom house, you know, you have five different people in there that became a housing for multiple occupancy. Um, and so hence HMO started and the planning permission had to start for that. Um, and so each time these situations are happening, and they're happening because of the economy and where people can't afford, HMO exists because, and especially in London, or the bigger cities like Manchester or Leeds or, or Birmingham, what happens there is that, you know, people can't afford on their own income and own basis to have that. And some of them are bolt holes. And in, in London, there's a lot of bolt holes. Imagine how many people travel back home on a Friday or a Thursday afternoon to parts of the country where they live and have their family. But during the week, they are traveling into, and they've got a bolt hole, they've got a bedroom, a suite of some or a studio apartment or a bedsit, which becomes their place during the week um, to have. So you know, it's not gonna change. It's just that the way the government are now looking at, are trying to see, well, how else can they have more income um, out of it? And, and, and maybe by taxing everybody individually, that might be the answer. But I think eventually it will become, you know, a, a fruit, fruitless uh, area where people will just find another way. And, or maybe people will start to say, well, actually, it's not financially viable for me to do um, a HMO because it's now too expensive. I'll just turn it into a house. So then what, what do the government do? Where are they going to house those people are now going to be homeless because the people are now no longer doing HMOs? So they haven't thought it through. No, councils would, on the other hand, you can imagine what they're going to say. They're going to say, well, you know, council tax is about council tax is about fair usage of our facilities. So if you've got six people all using the dustbins, all using the uh, other services that come under the council tax, then, you know, at the end of the day, they should pay that rate. Um, so it could be, you know, six times what it would be otherwise. So that, that's going to be their argument. But of course, landlords aren't going to accept that, are they? And nor are the tenants, because if that was the case, then we'd like to see what those councils are going to provide for those individuals. Uh, we already know that they've struggled to provide the services for ordinary households, let alone having six people in a, in, a, in a building now knocking on your door and saying, well, actually, I'm paying you my council tax. What are you doing for me? And um, uh, I don't think the council could cope with the inquiries. In fact, they're probably you know, outsource it to somewhere else in the world and make sure that nobody ever picks up the phone, um, which is what they do now very successfully. But the, the reality of it is, I think, you know, they haven't thought it through. Um, and I think that, um, I don't think it makes sense. I think they have to stick to the point that 
it has to be per household, per, per unit, per residence, and it's up to the landlord and the people in it to choose how they want to divide it. Yeah, I think uh, there's obviously a lot more needs to be done because obviously you've got HM HMOs, which are basically rooms with shared facilities, but then you've also got sort of small flats and studio apartments which are in a building, but they are individual units, I suppose, from a council tax perspective. So there is the, the division. But I think the worry is that it's yet another way that, that regulation seems to be poking at the landlord. They're saying here that you know over 500,000 homes have been taken out of the private rental, private rental sector since 2018, as according to the English Housing Survey, uh, because the taxation on landlords and the regulation is just so complicated and uh, restrictive. So what they don't want, of course, is more landlords going out because yeah, yet another load of cost is going on, this time via the council tax. I suppose that's a fair point as well. Yeah, I suppose it could be a fair point, but uh, you know, if they're talking about 500,000 homes that have been taken out by private landlords, I'd love to have the challenge of seeing how many, uh, how many homes that each council has in their own territory and their grasp, which are, are either not repaired, uh, unoccupied, or sitting derelict, um, and they're not actually using them themselves. You know, it's always easy to point the finger at someone else, but they need to look in the mirror themselves. Indeed. And final uh, story this week, um, something that we have touched on recently, but I just thought it was nice to have a conversation more generally about downsizing. So there's been a notable rise in the number of people looking to downsize to smaller properties since last September, says New Research. Savills uh, surveyed agents representing its 130 offices and found more than half, 53%, had seen an increase in the number of downsizes on their books. Equity-rich older homeowners are some of the best place to move uh, in today's market, and they are less likely to be impacted by higher mortgage costs because they'll probably be buying for cash. Most who have uh, enjoyed um, most have, have enjoyed significant house price growth over the period of their ownership. While owners of large family homes will have seen their properties appreciate substantially over the course of the pandemic, meaning they're sitting on quite a reserve of equity. Downsizing vendors are telling them that they will prioritise using the extra equity to help family with their finances, a bank of mum and dad, or to supplement a retirement fund and reduce overheads. Whilst realistic pricing is crucial in today's market, still seeing a shortage of larger family homes. And it does make sense, doesn't it, that, that, that this should happen because it's, it's, it's almost like a recycling because they don't want to pay the extra energy cost to heat a big house when there's only a couple of them left, perhaps. So they'd like to move down to maybe something a little bit smaller. It'll be cheaper to run. They can take the equity out. They can add that to the pension or they can give it to kids. So you know, every, and a family home then becomes available for a family moving up. It just seems to make sense. But there's, there's a number of reasons why it's not happening as fast as it should, perhaps. Yes, it makes eminent sense. Um, and... Um uh, yeah, it's, it's a good good thought process. However, the problem it, why it doesn't shift Paul, uh, that quickly is about mindset and about what you're used to. And it is so difficult for people to sort of want to downsize after they've enjoyed the niceties of their home that they've actually worked hard perhaps together um, uh, as a husband and wife and built and bought and has a lot of family memories. And it's very, very difficult for them to rip themselves away from that just because they think it's morally a correct thing to do, that they should downsize and, and then go. The other side of this downsizing is that they don't particularly always want to shift 
too far away and then find it very hard to find the appropriate type of accommodation that they would be happier in. So it's a slow process for that reason and you find that it's probably at the time of expiry, i.e. that person expiring, um, that that property then becomes available and is, is available for people. Uh, but if there was a scheme or a setup that was allowing for people to, you know, downsize in a nice way, in other words, there were um, developments created as such, even perhaps on um, some greenbelt land for the downsizers specifically. So basically, there are some, some applications that are made even now where people over the age of 55 or 65 or the age of 60 are eligible to move to those particular environments it means that it gives them something to look forward so there are there are villages that are being created where they have all of the facilities uh you know the swimming pool the restaurant um and um and the medical care etc said all on site so that it means that they can actually and that makes them feel well okay that's that's worth me doing that because i'll I'll get rid of my acre or two acres or five acres of property and 10,000 square foot for a nice luxury apartment, which means I've got all of the perks that I wanted, but now it's cheaper, it's more cost-effective heating-wise, and perhaps I've got people of my own age and ilk that are like-minded who are, who are there. Those things might drive them, but unfortunately what happens is they, they don't exist much. They exist in very, very small pods. You might get one or two within a 10, 15 mile radius, that normally means that those people don't want to go that far. And if they don't want to go that far, they'd rather stay where they are. The flip side of all of that is, of course, the facilities. The key thing I've learned over the years is the facilities. And the facilities are such as knowing your doctor, knowing who your pharmacists are, the deliveries that they're going to make, knowing where you're going to pick up your grocery, knowing the local guy, not that there's many of them now, most of them are online, but who you can go to. And those things make it really difficult for generations to say, well, actually, you know what? Because morally it's right for me to downsize, I'll downsize, because they also have a huge agenda of why they can't. But if they could, I think they would. And that's what we're seeing. We are seeing that people want to downsize. They've got older, bigger properties that probably need maintaining and upgrading and costing a lot but they haven't got the facilities to go to that makes them think, well, actually, one is worth doing it over the other. You know, if, if they, all the facilities were there, then they probably will be more attractive. The other side of that is there's always flats. And this is someone who's lived in a very nice house or a home with a garden. Now, really, doesn't want to be in a flat because that's not where they mm. are. So, you know, little, little, um, little bungalows or little... Um, you know, uh, small, um, some sort of huts and houses or whatever you want to call them could be created with their own gardens, maybe more attractive in a, in a village, uh, village, uh, an enclosed village environment, which makes them think, okay, well, I'll actually pack up here because I know that there's a, a on-site pharmacy, there is a, a swimming pool, there is a nice restaurant, I can go to a coffee bistro, whatever they want to do. Those are the sort of things I think that need to be thought through. And if they were and they were available i'm absolutely certain there'll be more people that will actually give up their big homes but the problem is they don't exist 
Yes, yeah, 79% of agents said that uh, finding the right property locally because they don't want to move is the biggest barrier to them. Of course, the other thing to consider is if they buy something else, then they're going to have stamp duty to pay, which seems uh, a little bit unfair. There should I still think there should be a, a moratorium for downsizers where they don't have to pay stamp duty in the same way that first-time buyers are not having to pay stamp duty at this time. I think that personally would be a, a good thing. But the other thing that's interesting is I am seeing things like that in my own area. I'm seeing um, these places being built, as you say, little blocks of flats, if you like, and they've got the facilities on site. But they're building them next to main roads and because they're building them on brownfield sites. So, so obviously they're not being built in a place where somebody of that sort of um, discernment, if you want to call it that, uh, would want to buy. Um, and... Furthermore, the price of these things. I heard an advert on the radio the other day advertising two-bed retirement places for over forty, over 55s, and they were 550,000 in places, in, you know, nowhere near city centres like London or anything like that. It's places like Camberley and sort of uh, the cheaper parts of Surrey, if you like. So 550 for two beds. And you can bet your bottom dollar that there's leasehold costs that are fairly significant as well associated with that. Oh yes, service charges, maintenance costs, uh, all of those will be uh, astronomical. And those things put people off, you know, but as you rightly say, it's happening in your area, it's happening in everyone's area. But if, you, if you're living in a, a two acre property with a, a nice four or five bedroom detached house, why would you want to go to a main road block of flats? You just wouldn't want to do it, which is why I'm saying that this is where, you know, they could use um, the land much much more effectively where they could probably release some of the green belt on the outskirts where they can create such villages for those discerning people that want that kind of lifestyle and it's not going to be um impacting on the environment yet they could use the land that their house was built on perhaps to build more properties um and actually you know provide more uh, affordable properties or rentable properties for people that want to be in the town in, in itself. So yeah, I mean we're an island, Paul. It's, it's never gonna, it's never gonna be right, you know. Um, and, uh, and and everybody wants to enjoy their space. It, on paper, it makes a lot of sense. In reality, it's something that you know it just doesn't doesn't sell well. Um, and uh, I, I speak to a lot of people, seen a lot of people over the years, and it's hard for them to, in their mind, turn around and say, well, actually, I'm going to pack up my nice, you know, property here, which I, I we worked as a family to achieve and got just because I think morally it's right. They'll just wait. That's why they say, I'll go out of here in the, in the box. I'm probably no different in my own, own, own way because it's, you know, you work yourself up to a certain point and then you don't want to be saying, okay, well, I'll actually go and pack up unless it's the must. And it's the must that actually happens. When someone becomes perhaps ill or, or it's disability, or they can't get from A to B quick enough, they, they need the car, all those other things may kick in. But if you are in good health, you're not going to go. No, absolutely. Well, downsizing, HMOs, and uh, also, what were we talking about in the first one? We were talking about, uh, oh, yes. Uh, marathon running. Airbnbs. Air, air <laughs> oh, and marathon Airbnb. running as well. Just and to, marathon running, yeah. That's it, yeah. We'll just have a quick uh, reminder of justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Natasha Cooper dash Smith. So I guess she'll be running it our next, whilst uh, we're doing our next show, won't she? Yes, she will, and um, we'll, we'll give the feedback on the following one. Fantastic. Okay, thank you again, Joe, as always, for your wisdom, and I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of Property Matters.